Greetings. This is Gary Rogowski for the Northwest Woodworking Studio. Welcome to our podcast. And this one's about a particular machine in the shop. It's called the joiner. Now, the joiner used to refer to a profession. If you were the joiner, you were the person who cut the joints and put the furniture together. You didn't saw the wood. You didn't put finish on it or gild it or carve it or do inlay or marquetry. You were the person who cut the joints. You were the jointer. And now we refer to it as a machine that acts like a hand plane. And basically it's a hand plane set upside down in the middle of two beds. It has a cutter head, usually three knives in a cutter head. Sometimes uh, you get a segmented cutter head, a spiral cutter head, and those are great. But basically it is still a hand plane turned upside down that you pass wood over. And I can say with assurance that for years, for sad number of years, my joiner was just the source of such desperate efforts on my part to get it to work right. Let me start at the beginning. I uh, I started woodworking. I had a hand plane, but I didn't know how to sharpen it, so it wasn't much use to me. And so, uh, you know, I started out with machine tools, like most folks, and I got myself a little benchtop 4-inch wide joiner. So when you use the numbers, say it's 6-inch or 12-inch, that refers to how wide the cutter head is. Well, I bought a 4-inch. and had a very short bed on it. And that, that was okay. It's It fit in my basement shop. I could move it in and out. That was easy. And I could make some edges relatively straight and relatively square. It became clear that I needed something that was a little bit larger that could straighten edges and flatten faces. And so I bought a 6-inch. I bought a 6-inch Powermatic. And it was all I could afford. It was $100 an inch. And for the next 25 years, I wished I had saved another $200, which was a lot for me back then. But uh, I only had six, and that's what I put into this joiner, six inch. Now, it turns out that it took me years to figure this out, but there was a, there was a bow in my fence, which caused such trouble for me. And... I didn't realize it for years. I always thought it was, you know, how the fence locked down. Way back then, uh, you could you could get Powermatics or you could get Deltas. And I did see one at a shop that was a this predated spiral cutter heads, but it was a a cutter head that was not parallel with the edge of the table. It was set at a ten degree angle. And that was pretty cool. So what that does is give you more of a shearing cut. The joiners that uh, we could buy back then and could up until recently uh, all came with these three three knives spinning at you. They all cut at once and, um, you know, left some evidence of their work behind them. So you see these cutter head marks. Depending on how fast you moved, you could really see them uh, and feel them. Uh, or they were almost invisible. Not quite invisible, but almost invisible. So I had a uh, the six inch and a big 
gap between the infeed table, the first table, and the outfeed table. I don't know, a couple inches. Yeah, three inches, something like that. Two and a half, three inches across there. Uh, I'll get to how that's, that was a problem for me in a bit. But this uh, this joiner, it seemed pretty flat, although I do remember years ago going to uh, the machinery company in town and, and seeing the uh, owner taking a fence from a joiner and setting it on the ground and jumping up and down on it. <laughs> it was bizarre. But cast iron back then had uh, certain qualities. It's a little different now. They rush the process now, whereas before you'd cast your, your iron and then let it sit out in what was called the boneyard. You just cast a table for a, for a joiner or for a table saw or an engine block and, uh, and let it sit and let it move and twist and let all the things that, all the stresses that got built up in the process of casting it work themselves out. So nowadays they're rushed a little bit more quickly. Is the cast iron better? Not for me to say. But the cast iron I had in this fence had a little bit of a bow to it, and I didn't realize it for years. So I would spend, oh my goodness, an hour or two each time trying to get that fence square to the table so I could get a true cut. And it was, it took me years to figure out that if I set it out of square, if I just ooched it a little bit towards me, everything was fine. So something was out of whack. Table, the way the cutter head was set, something was out of whack. And it just, it drove me nuts. Now, one of the things about the joiner that you do have to understand is that it doesn't give a crap whether or not it cuts you or the wood. So just bear that in mind. If you stick your thumb behind the board as you're passing it through the, the joiner cutter head, it's going to take off the top of your thumb just as easily as it will take off wood. I remember uh, early on I was touring uh, some other wood shops in Chicago and met a guy who had been doing it for, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. And he was sitting there with his thumb all bandaged up and he had done just that. Someone, you know, fairly skilled and with good habits in place, one would think. And he ran his thumb right through the joiner. Who would do such a thing you're saying to yourself? Who would be so thick that they would put their hand into the cutter head. Sigh. Well, it was, I don't know, a couple years in, and I had my six-inch joiner, and the knives were getting dull, and I didn't know how to change them and do all that stuff. Um, so my response to dull cutter heads was to push down harder on the, on the board, and I was working on a piece of uh, walnut for a box, and this box had fairly short sides to it, not very long, 8 inches, 10 inches maybe, and um, 3, 4 inches wide. And so I was running my uh, my hands over the cutter head and had to uh, push down because there was a lot of bounce in the cut, you know. So uh, when I pushed down too hard and the piece flew out away, uh, the cutter had just kicked it out. My left hand was left, let's say, tickling the ivories. And, uh, I, you know, I was quick back then. I jumped out of the way of, of too much danger. But it did, it did get me. It bit me. It felt like a punch. It felt like a punch to my, to my finger. And then I bled. Oh, my goodness. 
And so I learned a great deal that day. Oh my goodness, I learned so much. I learned how to staunch a wound. One of the things you hope you don't have to learn. Uh, get it above the your heart. Uh, get a towel on it. Compress the wound. All that good stuff. In any case, uh, I, I got to a doctor and got uh, bandaged up. And there wasn't much they could do. There was nothing there. Anyway, I recovered. I regained the feeling of my finger, and it grew back. Everything was pretty good. But I, I did, as soon as I got back to the shop, figure out what had happened. And it was just gross stupidity on my part because uh, I was using, uh, or I was pushing the wood through the joiner, through the cutter head without push sticks. And so the first thing I did was I made about three push sticks to use at the joiner. So even in the middle of a cut, if I had started a cut, I would stop and grab a push stick and finish things up. I learned a lot that day. I learned that push sticks provide a small barrier between you and the cutter head. I learned that when you have dull knives, you should take a smaller depth of cut. You're in control of that. You know, you dial that in-feed table up or down, depending on how deep you want to go. Later on, when I started teaching classes, I had a couple of guys uh, come in and take class, and they had they had taken woodshop in high school, but had gone on to a career in excavation. Now, I want to point out that excavators have a different sense of what a light cut might be. You know, I think that a 32nd of an inch is a light cut. They think that a quarter of an inch is a light cut. So these guys had set my joiner for a quarter inch cut. And boy, they were blowing through material. It's possible, but it's hard. It's hard on the hard on the wood, hard on the machine. Taking off that much of a pass off one side and not the other, you can expose drier wood on the inside and cause a moisture imbalance and it'll cup on you. That and the, the danger of taking off that deep a cut, particularly without push sticks. I made myself a bunch of push sticks for long wood, for shorter pieces, for narrow pieces, and for wide ones. And they were all close by the joiner so I could pick them up when I was, in the, when I was getting ready for a cut or when I was in the middle of a cut. Now, my joiner continued to do fine work for me over the years. I did eventually get an 8-inch joiner which I use all the time now. The six inch is barely used. And that eight inch, after a number of years, I converted to a spiral cutter head, a bird cutter head. And I do have to report that it's been three years now, and I haven't rotated those knives yet. Um, carbide knives make a huge difference in your world compared to high-speed steel. And that's what everyone used to sell you, was high-speed steel knives. Um, but they just, they're sharp, but they just don't last. But the combination of the spiral cutter head and the carbide knives just make the, uh, my old 8-inch joiner, a jet, outperform any other machine, uh, any other joiner I have used. It is, it is a joy to use that machine now, because I know that I don't even have to look at grain direction. Let's back up. You know, normally when you use a joiner, you're going to flatten the face or straighten an edge. You look at the grain direction, you want it running down and away from the front end of the board. So you're just trimming off the tops of the fibers. Ha, I don't even bother now. I don't even look. 
what I'm concerned with is how flat is the board when I when I bring it to the cutter head. Because if I'm taking a light cut and I always set my joiner for nothing more than the 32nd of an inch depth of cut, if I'm taking a light cut and I slow down my feed rate, I can cut in any direction. I can cut through a knot. I can cut against the grain. It's not an issue. It's just not an issue. I think most of that is due to the uh, shearing cut that you get with the spiral flutes. Uh, and, the, and the rest of it is, is taken up by the sharpness of those carbide cutters. But that's quite a, quite a difference from having to read the grain and being very careful, which you may have to do if you've got a standard cutter head. You just slow down your normal feed rate when you're getting close to a, uh, a bit of nasty grain or a pin knot or something, something where you know you might get some tear off. And you can hear it when it happens, just blap. You know it uh, when it happens. Now, something else that you know when it occurs is snipe. It happens at the end of a cut, and you'll be moving along, and life is good, la, 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 and you're making a cut, and everything's fine, and you get to the end, and it goes, bleep, and you look at the edge of your board, and there's this divot that's like an inch or two inches long, and you're like, what the heck is that? Well, what that is, is your cutter head is no longer aligned properly with your outfeed table. Your outfeed table has to be set so that at top dead center with the cutter head, it is in line. And that's a sentence that didn't come out very well. So when your cutter head is spinning at top dead center, it's in line with the outfeed table. Okay? How do you do that? Well, there's an adjustment on the outfeed table. The joiner really is a very simple chunk of, of cast iron. Uh, there's a base on which are mounted an infeed table and an outfeed table, and then onto that is mounted a fence. There's a motor beneath it. There's a cabinet that holds the motor. It's pretty simple. From a machinist's point of view, this is, this is a meatball machine. It's so inaccurate, it's almost not worth using. But we're woodworkers. We don't have to work with the sort of precision that machinists do. It's good enough for us. You do have to make sure that that outfeed table is in line with the cutter head at top dead center. And so you can loosen the lock nut on the outfeed table and move it up or down depending on what you need. How do you know what you need? Well, if you're getting snipe, what's happening is you're making the cut and everything is fine, but the outfeed table is set too low. So when the board comes off the infeed table, it drops into the cutter head. It's sitting on the outfeed table and that's set too low relative to the cutter head. So it drops into that cutter head and you get that extra cut for the last couple of inches, or as wide as the distance between your in-feed and out-feed table. It just drops into the cutter head, and you get snipe. Raise the out-feed table up to be in line with the cutter head. Now the reverse situation is when you're making a cut, I'm, my voice will imitate the cut. So you're making a cut, and everything is fine, and you're making the cut, and then it's... What? All right, you're making the cut, and everything is fine, and cutting, and cutting, and going along, and then it just tapers off. That tapering occurs when the outfeed table is set too high. So as you're making the cut, it starts off just fine. But as you get to the end of it, it's lifting onto that outfeed table, and eventually comes off the infeed table, and it's resting on that higher outfeed table. And you don't cut the last third of the board. Who knows how, how much of that you don't cut. Flip the board around and try it again. If you get the same kind of cut, you know that the outfeed table is set too high. 
you have to bring that down in line with the cutter head. So those are pretty easy to fix. One of the things they don't tell you about joiners is how sensitive they are when you buy one. If you don't know what you have when you walk up to the machine, you're not going to have much success, or you'll have limited success. Sometimes your boards will come out straight. Sometimes you'll take a whole lot more off one end than the other. Sometimes uh, you can't seem to get it. So this is what you need to know. You need to know what you've brought to the table, so to speak. So does your board have a bow along the edge, or does it have a hump along the edge? Is it straight? Just set it on the infeed table and try and spin it. You'll know immediately. If it does not spin, you either have a hollow or it's dead flat. Well, it's easier to locate with that hollow. It's located on two points. So run that edge through. If, on the other hand, the piece spins very freely, then you know you've got a high spot. That's a little different. You've got to treat that board differently. You have to put all your pressure on the rear end of it to lift it up. And then as soon as it starts to cut, transfer all your pressure to the front end so it doesn't cut again. Seems counterintuitive, but what you're trying to do is just get the high spot. You don't want it taking a pass off the front half or the back half because you end up with a shingle. And who among us has not cut a shingle? on the joiner. You're making a cut. Oh, I didn't cut the last half. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. And you look up and you're, you know, half an inch narrower on one end than, than the other because you didn't pay attention to the high spot. That's it. Pure and simple. Know that you've got a high spot. Start with your pressure on the rear end. Get to the high spot. Transfer to the front end. It'll be a very short cut, but I promise you the next cut will be longer and the next one after that. You just keep doing that until that high spot in the middle or wherever it is gets longer and longer and longer and then you'll be able to make a, a nice straight cut. The last thing you run into though that's really tricky is twist in a board. And if you don't know that you have it, you will again make a shingle. Uh, it's a little difficult to, to see, so what I do is, particularly this happens uh, on faces more than edges, but I set the board down on the joiner table and rock the corners. If it rocks, I know I have to work from corner to corner. I don't work straight across the board. Now, here's my general rule uh, for safety on the joiner, which I should have mentioned back with the push sticks. If my fingers come anywhere close to the cutter head guard, i got to grab a push stick. If I'm doing face joining, I use a push stick. If I'm doing an edge and I'm four inches above the cutter head, then what I have to make sure I do is get the cut established on the outfeed table before I put any pressure down on it so I don't drop into the cutter head. So if I'm face joining, I'm using a push stick, and I want to start with my pressure on the corner I want to cut, so I rock the other corner up and off the table, make my pass, and about halfway through, put pressure on that corner and rock the piece from high corner to high corner. And now I realize the failure of a podcast for this sort of visual stuff. So I want to point out, I've got a milling class coming up, um, a lecture on it. Uh, Wednesday, October 30th, you should come if you're in town. A couple hours of seeing this really helps. But that twist is something that you can take out of a board, and you can do it on the joiner. You just have to know what you walk up to the table with. If you're unaware of it, you're going to waste a lot of material. I can't afford to, so 
uh, I, I'm careful with my with my cuts. Now I want to point out some things that I could presume you know. You may not. Make sure you're not running any dirt through the joiner or <clears throat> staples, nails. Ooh. Um, make sure the stuff is clean. No paint. This sort of stuff just dulls your knives. Uh, so you want to make sure this, the stock is relatively clean. One thing I did learn over the years that has really made my, my time at the joiner so much easier and and uh, appreciate it. I used to fight with the, the fence. I told you I had this problem with the fence and how to get it square. I always wanted a square cut if I was edge joining. I wanted two square edges. My goodness, if I didn't have two square edges, they weren't going to go together right. Hey. <laughs> We're just rediscovering. That's what, all I do in the studio is I rediscover stuff that other people have known and then time is forgotten. All I have to do is make two cuts on the joiner. Two cuts that will match with opposite faces pointing towards me. That's all I have to do. So even if it's the fence is set at 89 degrees, tipped away from me, and I make that first cut, I make the second cut with the opposite face pointed towards me, and that cut will be 91 and they'll go together and make a supplementary angle. They're not complementary cuts. They're supplementary cuts, and you get a flat board. And I used to struggle with trying to get things at 90. Now I just mark opposite faces. I may be cutting against the grain, but I go slowly and uh, always get great results. It's such a time saver, such a time saver. I could talk now and go on about spring joints and, and some other things that you can do on the, on the joiner, but those sorts of things are better seen. So come to the studio sometime. Come and take a class. Check out our website, northwestwoodworking.com. We've got a full schedule of classes, workshops, and lectures. The mastery program is starting in October. There's still opportunity to join that. Anyway, thanks very much for listening. Please check us out, uh, northwestwoodworking.com. Buy me a coffee and uh, keep supporting our efforts. Do good work. Take care. Bye-bye.